This is CliffCentral.com. Hello there. This is moi, Sonia Booth. Uh, welcome to Opinion Booth. And today's title is Warm Comforts. And the topic, I mean, think about this. What do you do when your child is admitted in a hospital for a life-saving operation or medical intervention in a different town, city, province or country, and you have no friends or family nearby to accommodate you? My guest today, we have Ndate Ruejis Kosana, who is chairman at RMHC, and Mam Pet Tekisho, organizational leader and project director at RMHC. And um, in a short while, we're going to be joined by two mums who are going to share their stories. We have Busikumalo and Sbongile Masemula. Pet and Reggie, welcome to Opinion Booth. Thanks. So now... I will reiterate the statement, parenthood ain't for the faint-hearted. So, I mean, imagine this as a parent, medical experts uh, telling you that your child needs a life-saving operation. So, imagine you on the outskirts of Palabora, and you have to travel to a hospital in Johannesburg, because we all know the main cities, the main, you know, the bigger provinces with high populations will more than likely have your big um, academical uh, hospitals, like your um, world-renowned Baraguanath, uh, Chris Honey, Baraguanath Academic Hospital, and uh, we have uh, bigger ones as well in uh, the Western Province region, particularly in Cape Town. So your child is admitted. You wait around in the corridors, anxiously awaiting updates from doctors. You are alone because your husband had to stay behind to work. Hours later, a doctor tells you your child will be placed in high care or ICU for weeks or months, some even years. It is bad enough thinking about whether or not your child will make a full recovery. Now you think logistics. Um, I have no family or friends nearby. I don't have taxi fare, let alone money to book into a B&B or a hotel. So my guests today are here to enlighten us on an organization that aims to keep families close. And Dr. Reggie, what is... RMHC, uh, RMHC stand for and when was it established and w- how do you accomplish your mission? Uh, your introduction was brilliant, I must say. Thank you. Um, in a way, um, RMHC stands for Ronald McDonald's House Charity. Just briefly, uh, how it commenced is that the way you put the picture and you painted the picture shows how it actually started. It was uh, like a father... Who, whose baby was very sick and had been diagnosed with uh, leukemia, was given four months to survive and was forced to the mother to stay in the hospital all the time. And they, they were forced to be sleeping on chairs in the car and the likes. And he came up with an idea that how about having a house close to the hospital? And he went around raising funds and he approached one of the operators of McDonald's. And that operator said, I'll help you to build that house, but you must call that house Ronald McDonald's House. So from there, the charity arose. And that happened about 44 years ago. So we've been around now for 44 years. But here in South Africa, we're about five years old. So that is a bit of a background as to how we came about, is the, the need to have a facility like a house or family room to help children who are very sick. And that's our focus. And our programs 
are centered around that. And at the moment, we've got three major programs. The major one is a house. As you know, we've got a house on top of the Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital, which will be full functional as from next month. And then we have two family rooms at Chris Honey Baragwanath Hospital. And probably towards the end of this year, we'll be launching our third program, which is called a, 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 a mobile. And um, that's a, it's like a, a clinic on wheels. And that is to reach out to areas that are very rural. And you can imagine that those areas normally, don't, they don't have access to medical care. And, you know, there are preventable disease where we can help out with vaccination and those type of stuff. And that is one of the most exciting programs which I'm looking forward to. But at this present moment, we still got the three programs running. Okay. And I remember at your inaugural uh, golf day last year, you mentioned McDonald provides 60% of the funding and you were still appealing to funders, uh, philanthropists to make up the 40%. Is that still the case? Absolutely. Uh, McDonald's has pledged 60% of our expenses to cover the 60% of our expenses, primarily towards the house. Um, we are a charity of choice for McDonald's. As you know, our main aim, of course, to launch of any program, we must make sure that it's sustainable. Before we embark on any type of uh, initiative, we must make sure that it's sustainable. And we are comforted by the fact that uh, we are a a charity of choice for McDonald's because they guarantee us some sort of funding. But we also take our own initiative in raising funds from outside because 40% must be raised by ourselves. Okay, so I mean, it's, it's going to sound like a strange question, uh, but why do you need a partner? Why couldn't they fund um, the full 100% considering that they, they're using their name for the actual house, the units, the family rooms? Well, let me just clarify something. We, we are an NGO. We are autonomous. In other words, uh, we can, we could survive without McDonald's, but McDonald's chose us as a charity of choice. So that is the most comforting thing because McDonald's is a very well established company. Uh, we need donations to survive. There's no mission that can survive without any form of donation. True. So, uh, the fact that we are getting funding is, to a great extent, assuring to us, reassuring to us for our sustainability. You can come with a great idea, but if you cannot sustain it, it is not worthwhile. So we have to look into the funding as well. And the reassurance that we have always in the back of our mind is that probably when things get desperate, we can always call on McDonald's to help us out. Okay, so what you're saying is that if there's a founder out there and who wants to make up the 40% for operational uh, costs, you you will open up your door, obviously. Obviously, they are already there. Okay. We have we have a number of people. Actually, the ordinary citizens are also helping out. Yes. If you are walking into McDonald's and you see those donation boxes and you put uh, that uh, change in it, you're already contributing. That's yes. another way of raising funds is through those donation boxes that you see in, in the McDonald's uh, restaurants. That is another way that we are raising funds. 
Okay. So we, we are dependent not only on corporates, we are also dependent on ordinary citizens to do that. Absolutely. Community at large as well. Yeah. And I know I'm, I'm going to be talking to you or we're going to be, you're going to be telling me more about how people can volunteer later on in the show. Yeah. So RMHC South Africa is part of a global network of nearly 290 chapters. Chapters, I take it it's units, fa- family units. No, no, not quite. Uh, we are a chapter. Okay. In, a, in other words, we report to a global office, okay. which is based in the States. So before you are recognized as a chapter, uh, it is a feasibility study that you do to show that you are actually viable to become a, a sustainable uh, Chapter. I so see. we are all called chapters. We are also a chapter here. Okay, and I mean, so so, th- so that's in more than sixty-four countries and regions. Yeah, only two in, in two units or chapters. Can I say two units, two family units in 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 Africa, the okay. entire continent? Am I right? Let me put it this way: we are the only chapter that is in existence. In, in Africa. In Africa. Yeah. Which is a sad reflection, really, of the disparity of benefits in the world, really. It means that we've just started. But we shouldn't be bemoaned that too much. It's that we have started and we've taken one gigantic step to move forward. For at least we've got now the charity established here. And we've got also already uh, three programs running. And which is breaking records in the way we are expanding. Uh, we're expanding pretty fast because the, the need in our country is so great. And I mean, the, the, the reason I, I, I emphasize that is that all the units that you have in Africa are in South Africa. Correct. And I mean, Africa is a massive continent. Absolutely. There is greater need out there. So I'm, I'm absolutely baffled at the fact that those units are in South Africa and yet we have so many regions in Within, within Africa where surely there is a need. And I mean, I know it's a great start, but I, I do know, but I, I always just question myself as to why more corporates are not getting involved, why not many organizations are not getting involved to make sure that you have such units in, in your other countries, Zimbabwe, Malawi, uh, Malawi, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, as I said, it's, we have to start somewhere, yep. right? And kudos to you. For establishing that here Because, you know, charity begins at home And of, of course you are passionate about your own <laughs> country And, you know, that, that's, that's, that's where we're going to be starting So, we have Busi uh, Chloe's mum yes. Right? And I see there's another little kitty <laughs> um, I need a daughter, by the way So I must, I must talk to you about it. She's absolutely Gorgeous. Thank you. And she's looking very happy there, very content. You know, she's got no worries in the world. Happy baby right there. Welcome to Opinion Booth. Thank you very much. So you're from Pimville? Yes. You're from Mahood. I'm from Pimville, zone three to be precise. So I'm well, in zone five. Okay. Oh, you're a cheese girl. Yeah. <laughs> all the, all, you know, all the people from zone five, you know, we, we, we know them as cheese girls because they have bathrooms inside the house. We have toilets outside the house. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, know how that, I don't know how that works. But yeah, she's she's a cheese girl. So Bussy, your nickname is Cheese Girl today. <laughs> so Bussy is Chloe's mom, and um, she's going to be telling us more about Chloe. Um, and I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to get into that at the moment. And we also have Swongile. Swongile is Bussy's mom, yes. not Bussy the mom who's here, but your daughter. <laughs> it's just a coincidence. So welcome to Opinion Booth. Um, I'd like for you to share your story. So whoever wants to go first, whoever's comfortable to go first. 
Okay. Uh, well, my name is Lucy, and I had a daughter. Her name was Chloe, who was born in 2015, October 20, yeah, October. Well, she was a premature baby born at 1,7 gram. Okay. Wow. Yes. One, 1.7 kilograms? Yes. Sure. Very, very tiny baby, and okay. And we, I gave birth in Barra through a cesarean. Hmm, I must stay. Hmm. Okay, this is really hard. I know, I know. I, it, I'm, I'm a parent, yeah. and it, w- but we have to do this because remember, we we want to hear your story so that other women know that they could find themselves in your position. We don't wish for them to find themselves in that position. Nobody wishes that on anybody. No parent wants to lose a child, especially at such a young age. But I'm hoping you'll gather the strength to share your story because it's going to enlighten, it's going to educate. And believe you me, you're, you're just your presence here, you're helping us. Okay. Okay. Chloe stayed in Barrow for almost eight months. Our journey in Barrow is was okay for a premature baby they have complications of the lungs which they need to develop the lungs so they stay in oxygen most of the time and get medication to help them with their lungs to develop better okay from november no november december january january they found that chloe had a complication with her nostrils she didn't have one of the nose was not opened so they needed to do surgery to open the nose fine we agreed that it's going to be done during that time we were at rmch house in which they are the most greatest people ever because through that time they helped us because nobody the doctors the nurses just they were there to help the babies not the moms so with their ronald mcdonald house they were a very good support system for the mothers because we were there they could give us tea, uh, lunch, you know, to support. And we have the staff there that's helping us to deal with whatever that we're going through. Fine with Chloe. In end of January, she went for the operation. The worst day of my life. The worst day of my life. The operation did not go so well. Did not go so well. Which we had to be ventilated. For three months She was on a ventilator for three months Because the doctors made a mistake on her And everything just turned for the worse It just turned for the worse But then with with faith You know when you're a praying woman With faith you know that My child will make it through Even though even though the doctors tell you each and every day That a child might not make it But you have that hope that My child will make it My child will make it so eventually, after three months of sitting in a ventilating machine, which you cannot describe that moment when you see your child in those machines being intact to so many tubes, to there's no life there, but she is there. There was at once a day where they had no hope at all. They had to bring the big guns, the biggest ventilating machine to help her breathe because 
They thought she was not going to make it anymore. Anymore. Three months went by. In May, God had a miracle for me. My child was out of the ventilating machine, breathing with the normal oxygen again. The biggest doctors, the professors, were shocked at the miracle that that child went through. What she went through to be where she is. Even though she's not with me no more. Well, Chloe did pass after being discharged at home a day and a half. And she passed. Wow. May, may I soul rest in peace? Yeah. And through it all, I want to thank the RMCH because, okay, with Bada, they're only there for the kids. But for the parents, they are not there. They are not there for the parents. They are just only there for the babies to do their work. The strain is on the parents, on the young mothers that give birth to young children that don't know what to do. We, I did not have a support structure from at home because they were just all over the place. They would call you, but it didn't make a difference, you know. But the RMCH home was my home for eight months. Goodness me. For eight months. Going there every day. Every day. Every single day. There was no time where I did not go. The doctors would tell me, no, go home. We'd look after your child. We'll call you if something is wrong. But you just can't do that. You just can't do that. Leave your child unattended. The sad part is during the day, everybody's there. We are there. The stress is in the night. The stress is in the night where you're at home and your baby's there all alone. You don't know what's happening. You'd get a call in the middle of the night telling you that your child, their uh, their conditions has been complicated. You don't have transport. You don't have means of transport to get to your baby. So what we'd like is for them to have a home where we sleep as parents, you know, so that we can come in the night and see our babies. Because during the day, they've got the doctors, they've got the nurses, it's us, it's people that are visiting. There's no point, you know. So, I mean, I'd like to thank the RMCH Home for being the best, you know, for being the best. And if it wasn't for them, we, we would have been broken. We would have been really, really broken. Because it's a support structure for the mothers who are have babies in 66 in ICU. Because you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. It's not possible. It's not. Because, I mean, Mm. superwoman does not exist. No. We raise a child together. I mean, obviously, Mm. firstly, as a mother, but your partner as well. But we're going to be touching on partners Mm. and their support later on in the Mm. show. Smongile, please share your story. Um, Thank you for inviting us today. My name is Smongile Masemula. Um, my journey as a mother started in 2015. Um, pregnant at eight months. Had complications. Um, and my daughter passed on at eight months. And she weighed about 2.2 kgs. So when I went through the journey, all the emotions, and 2016, I think it was 2015, I found out I was pregnant again. And the excitement and just that hope that God is giving me another second chance to be a mother. Come 2016, June the 22nd, I gave birth to my little Busisiwe 
just at 27 weeks. Not even near 30 weeks. 27 weeks, Busi weighed 825 grams. And I remember when I first started having pains at night, my mother took me to the nearest clinic. And we transferred us to Baragwanath. I got to Baragwanath and I remember the sisters telling me that I'm fully dilated. And I asked them, but I'm just 27 weeks far in my pregnancy. And how is it possible that I can give birth to such a small baby? And the nurses were like, no, your baby will live. You just have to be strong. And in my head, I was thinking that I cannot lose another baby. I haven't healed from losing my first child at eight months. And the healing process has not arrived because I remember at Baragwanet, they told me that because your daughter was weighing two kgs, then you have to go and have a funeral at home. That on its own, it's very painful. So here you are today. You have a daughter in NICU. You still have a daughter that you're visiting at the graveside. All these emotions are coming up. And you're sitting there, you're thinking, you're looking at your daughter. You can literally see her ribs. You can literally see that her lips were not that yet developed. It's just those upper lips. It's not a full, full lip. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get through this? Um, at that time, I was working. And immediately when I asked, the sister was like, how long will she be here for? Because at 27 weeks, she still had a long way to go. And she was like, you are still going to be here. I made the decision to stay at home so because I need to be at the hospital every day. And you, they're telling you that your daughter, they'll be feeding her with the tube. You need to express milk for her. So you can't do that while you have to go to work and then come to the hospital. So then I took the decision to stay home. My daughter stayed at Barra from June 2016. And then she was in hospital for the next four months up until September. And I remember... The first time I saw it was after three days because I had a cesarean as well. So the first three days of her life, I didn't see my daughter. And the only image that I had of her was when they took her out in the theater and they were trying to resuscitate her on the table. And in my mind, she was not crying. She was not doing anything. And I remember asking myself that, God, if really this is the person that you want me to be a role model to, can you just give her that little breath? Then they told me that they're taking her to NICU. When the third day came, I saw Busi and all emotions just came through. I went outside of Baragwanath and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the environment and thinking I should be here every day. Where will I sit? Who will I talk to? Because in such a case, like you said, you can't go through this alone. Mm. You need a support structure. Absolutely. I remember asking one girl, her baby was sleeping, I think it was three beds from Busi. And I asked her, I'm like, how long have you been here? She was like, it's three months now. I'm like, okay, but where do you sit? Do you go home and you come back? From, because I'm from Orange Farm. And from Baragrana, that's like 20 minutes. And I'm thinking if I have to go back, it will be like a cost in terms of traveling and things like that. So she was like, no, we have a place called Family Room. I'm like, oh, okay. Can you take me there? I just want to see what environment it is. Are we allowed to sit there? She's like, yes, we are allowed to sit there. And then she explained that, no, but you come in the morning, you leave your bag and things like that. So I asked her, what's the name of the Family Room? And then she told me that it's Ronald McDonald. So then I Googled and then... 
from Google you can they explain it thoroughly as to what assistance they give to you. I got there, there were a lot of us, more than 30 women and young women, women between the ages of, I'll say, 28 going downwards. And you're sitting there, you're like, but I'm not alone. And I've got a support structure that I can, because I remember there was a day when I was telling my mom, I was like, at home you'll understand but nobody understands like the woman that we sit with at the family rooms because we are going through the same difficulties, the fear that your daughter might not be able to be there the next day. And I remember there was this other day, I think Busi was about four or five days old. I'm just sitting next to her because you're not allowed to hold your baby. You can just put in a finger into the, incu- into the incubator so that you can touch her. And then the machine started going off. And then I asked the nurse, what's going on? And then they were like, no, she's losing breath. So doctors started coming in and I said to myself, I need to be strong because this is going to be a journey that won't end now. And like Busi said, I would really like to, to, to thank the chairman for being here today and explaining how they are of assistance to families that really need the help. Because to us, the family rooms have meant so much more than just us getting that coffee, getting that breakfast, getting that lunch. But it's a place where we can go for rest, where you're, the, when the doctors tell you that, for instance, with Busi, I remember she had a hole in her heart. And I'm thinking in my mind, but if she has a hole in her heart, will she be able to live? And the doctors are like, we're still trying to find ways to figure out as to what to do. And immediately I remember I left, I went into the the family rooms and I started crying. And all these ladies came and they were like, it's okay. Some were like, I've been there. She's going to be Okay. So I, I, I'm I'm really grateful for my journey, and it hasn't been easy. Um, Busi now she's one year six months, um, and the complications ha- they haven't stopped because we recently found out that she has cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. and with everything that you're going through, it's adding on to more. But as much as that she has been discharged from hospital, I still have the ladies that I talk to who I call when I really need that support structure for them because raising a child with special needs can't be easy it is definitely not easy but having the people who you started the journey with it's a, it's a true miracle I admire both of you for, for you know being able, I mean, your your your, your presence here is is, is highly appreciated, um, you know, because myself and Reggie and Pat can talk about RMHC, but I think it was very very important to have the mums here, and hoping that other mums, which I know they listening in, uh, other mums who have gone through such, but other mums also to be aware mm. that any of this could happen to. Anybody and nothing will ever ever prepare you for that. So I, I, I admire the strength just to come here and I admire you as difficult as it is being able to share your story because you, you have no idea how many women you're helping yeah. by talking about your, your, your story, which I hope also talking about it can release 
some pain because obviously miracles would have to happen for the pain to be taken away from you and your body and the anger that you might feel towards the universe or to whomever. But just being here, just know that uh, I, I, I appreciate you sharing your story and it's, 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 it's not in vain. Thank you. RMHC mm. has assisted women from varying social and economic status. Some very young, very young. Ospad, how old was the youngest or how old has been the youngest mum that you've accommodated in, in the family rooms? And how did she handle her situation or predicament, for lack of a better word? We've had the youngest uh, mum being 12. 12? 12. 12 years old. But she was raped. So she used to come with her mum because obviously at 12 years, you're not able to, ha- you don't even know what it means to be pregnant or to have a baby. So that, that was our youngest. So because of the situation, the mom was always there with her. I mean, she's just, at 12, you're just a child. So she didn't really realize what was <coughs> happening. So she didn't really want to go even to the ward to go and look at the baby because her mom said that she didn't even want to touch the baby. That's how bad it was. Um, And we referred them to the Lawyers for Human Rights to take over the case because, I mean, rape is rape. And, uh, you know, that needed to be done. My word. I have a 13-year-old son, so just the thought of a 12-year-old having a child, being a child herself, and... Having be, the need for her to be accommodated in your family rooms because of the medical situation that the child was under. Mm-hmm. Sure, okay. And the baby being premature as well. My goodness. So that was a bit of a strain on the, the grandmother as well. So, you know, by now, people I'm sure, you know, whoever's listening is picking up that we're talking mothers, grandmothers, support from grandmothers, female family members. Where are the partners? Where are the fathers? Where are the grandfathers? Does RMHC cater for partners? What's, what's going on? This picture, something is not right with this picture. Because it takes two to conceive, right? Mm. I think so. It yeah. Does. It okay. Does. But um, at the family rooms that we have currently in Chris Hanibara Hospital, they are not of the size where we can accommodate the entire family. But we do say if the dad wants to come into the family room, they are allowed to come in when we have space. I don't know whether maybe you went when there wasn't a lot of people, but there are times where we have more than 60 mothers at any one point in the room. So we wouldn't be able to accommodate the dads or the grandfathers or the grandmothers. But they are allowed to come in because we cater for families and their children. It's not just the mum. So and, and what is the criteria? Here I am as a mother. My child has had to be admitted for whatever periods um, of time. What, what what do I need to do? What's the first step for me to get into your registry? Because you do have a registry because obviously you can't have just anybody walking in unannounced, right? You have to keep some sort of control also for security reasons, right? Mm-hmm. We do. Uh, so like 
Sbongile was saying, the mothers always, they get referred by the nurses in Ward 66 or in NICU, or alternatively, if the nurse is not going to refer the mother, some of the mothers who are in there will tell them that here's a, there's a space where we can go and sit and have refreshments and be able to watch TV and just rest and regain the energy to go back to the child. So, and we have um, a register that we keep. So every single person that comes in every day gets registered so that we keep count of that. And we also have um, a distinct armband that we give to the mothers to wear so that we know that you are here with us for this time period. And tell me, what is the longest period that a mum has been assisted by you or housed in the family rooms? Because obviously the child would have been in hospital for that period as well. Mm. We've had Busi, who was eight months with us, but we've also had one of the mothers who was with us for ten months at a go. So it just depends on the gravity and the illness of the child. So long as the child is in that ward, the mother is able to come and stay with us. You know, so there is no time limit. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, and 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 I can only I can make the assumption that um, the the mothers who are there all day for ten months, you cannot possibly keep a day a day job unless you work in night shift. But even then. Mm. I don't think physically it's. Uh, I don't think physically is possible for you to maintain a night shift job, and then be in hospital for the whole day, for ten months, to be with your child. Mm. So I take it uh, both you, Busi and um, Spongile, had to leave your jobs because I mean it, it. It wouldn't have been easy to juggle all of that. It, it it's not easy because, uh, for instance. Even when you when when you're at home, you decide today it's just too much for me to go to the hospital. Then you would get a call that your daughter needs a blood transfusion, and they need you to sign. Or your daughter has complications that you you need to rush to the hospital quickly. So you get to a point where when you're a mother, and then you decide to make certain sacrifices in life. You put your life on hold for this precious life that mm-hmm. God has given you. And for instance, when, when Busi was discharged and we heard about the cerebral palsy, and then it, I had, had to add more months to my career because I can't leave my daughter at home just finding out about her condition, whereas I still need education about her condition in order to understand her and what she needs. So it, 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 it really is a difficult journey where you really need to make certain sacrifices as a parent. Absolutely, mm. my word, and 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 I'll I'll keep talking about family support, but not only family support from your friends as well, but that's where RMHC comes in, right? If it weren't for the golf day, I have to be honest, I wouldn't have known about what RMHC does, what it stands for, its mission. Are there plans to enhance and expose the work that you do because? What you do is incredible And more and more people need to be aware That there is a unit or a chapter that exists That can give you the support That is much needed Yeah, we're working on plans to go public But there is nothing that can put you in the public's attention Than the stories that you've just heard 
And I think uh, the work that you do on the ground speaks for itself. I think with time, we're not rushing really to become well-known. We want our action to speak louder. And I, I think I've been very impressed with the account given by the mothers here today as to what they've got to go through. And if the public was to hear this, they will realize just how wonderful it is to be exactly where you are needed the most when the mothers are desperate. Uh, but with time, I think we just got an unexpected advertisement from the deputy president wearing our socks running next to the beach the other day. The, it got quite a publicity and people wondered that why is he wearing that red white socks? Actually, those are our symbols. Those are RMHC symbols. And um, we're going to follow up on those type of incidents. We've got also owner operators working on individuals, like on golf days, they, they sponsor it. And there's one operator in Cape Town who will be involved with this epic uh, race that's coming up. And he will be uh, also showing off our RMHC. So there, there are a lot of initiatives uh, in the pipeline. And I think also McDonald's is going to help us out with some adverts that will be coming up very soon. So with time, I think uh, the public is going to be fully aware of what we are doing. I love that. Pat, you shared a story of a grandmother who had no choice but to take up the role of a mother mm-hmm. to the grandchild because the mother was in no position True. to mother her own child. Do you mind sharing that story? I don't even know where to start. Um, I guess when we, in, in our communities, we know that grandmothers normally pick up where mothers are not able to. Like, I'm sure most of us have been brought up by grandmothers, but simply because mom was out somewhere working and earning a living so that you can have a better life. But in this instance, grandmothers also, you know, they, they step up to the plate because the mom is not a responsible adult to take care of their child. So we have those kind of situations where a grandmother steps in to come and be a mother to the child because the child, the mom of that child is irresponsible and or it's not accountable. It's not taking the role of being a parent, and therefore the grandmother steps in. And those are some of the situations that we've had. Not a lot, but some that we've had where the grandmother steps in. Or even recently we actually had a great-grandmother who was being the responsible, uh, who was responsible for the child that was in hospital because the, the grandchild, her grandchild, couldn't take... Um, she couldn't be accountable to the child. How old was the great grandmother? She was in her sixties. The great, yeah, she was in her sixties. She was saying that her daughter, the, the grandmother to the child, was working, so she couldn't do that. But because she's, you know, home on pension, she was able to do that. So mm. she was coming in every day to look mm. after the baby. Sure. Well, it it's 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 very it's, it can be Touching. very complex, yeah. right? Because yeah. I mean, 
you you are trying to give support to the mother for the sake of the child, but then now the mother is not responsible enough to be there for their own child, and mm-hmm. the grandmother steps in, or not even the grandmother in this case is the great grand grandmother. Is there any support for a mother like that who, for lack of a better word, but you said it yourself, who is irresponsible mm-hmm. and couldn't be bothered with visiting the child or looking after the child? Is there some kind of intervention with social workers, psychologists of some sorts to try and get a hold of the mother, to sit her down, to perhaps try and make her change her ways in, to a certain degree? Yeah. You know, Sonia, we are faced with a lot of cases. I can imagine. And um, from time to time, we've got also a social worker that we have, that we've employed, who does voluntary work from time to time. We call upon her from time to time to come in and help us intervene. But I just want to quote you this particular incident. When I walked in once and I met Dr. Nokwa, he's the head of pediatrics, and she just told me of an incident that had just occurred. And she said that uh, one guy had shot the girlfriend through the womb, through the, the stomach. Goodness. And the bullet had gone through and hit the limb of the child inside. Uh, they were battling to save the mother and save the child at the same time. And she was very emotional. I mean, a doctor was seen many cases, but she was very emotional on that day. But what upset her the most was that the boyfriend came in to come and see the girlfriend. And she said, you know, for the first time since she's been practicing, she took a stand and she refused to let that guy come in. He said, there is no way I can allow such abuse to okay and the guy to have the guts to come in as well and to, and to come and see what she had done. He just, she just refused to let the guy come in. And when he was relating the incident to me, I just felt how emotional it was. That, you know, with time we bond with our patients, you bond with, I can see with our volunteers and our workers there, they end up having created a relationship, a bond with the parents. So it's, it's quite a, an emotional situation to witness in the hospital. And as I say, every case comes along, like where you get a 10-year-old child bearing a child. What do you do in that? In that case, you know, and uh, when Pat related that case to me um, and said that he had referred it to the lawyers of human rights, and that's the only thing we can do. We don't have the resources to follow up, but even some of the mothers were were terribly uh, uh, abused who uh, require some intervention. It's so hard to help them out because there's so many of those cases. But uh, we can do whatever we can with the resources that we have at the moment, well, at, uh, that we have at the end. But I think with time, whenever I go there, I meet Professor Velapi, for instance, and he always comes up with a case. Can, can you help us out with this? And the latest one where he made a special request was um, regarding expressing milk, which I think, um, I think Bushi mentioned it that they have to express milk and they're going to create a bank where they'll keep the milk so that the mothers don't have to come every day. We have situations where mothers have come from Pochistrum. Can you imagine traveling from Pochistrum or from Ferienaching or from Gipslut? Ev- virtually every day. So what they're trying to do is to have the mothers express the milk and f- create a bank where they'll keep this milk. 
And so he's asked us to do that, to help create a bank for those milk. And that milk supposedly helped the babies to develop fast. So we're working on that project at the moment. It needs some sponsorship and some finance. But if we can get around to doing it, it's going to help also the mothers who have to travel long distances to the hospital. And one of the mothers have expressed that, why don't we have a place for, for them to sleep? And that request has also been forwarded to us. And, um, you know, we've got so many other projects. And I, I always tell them that, you know, if we were concentrating on Chris, Chris Hanibaraguanath, I would say probably we're going to do it. But there are other, ex, other hospitals in desperate need as well. So we're working on those projects to go also to other regions like Bloemfontein and KwaZulu-Natal and the likes to help out in those areas. Mm. So hopefully with time and with more ex, more help from outside, we'll be able to reach those areas as well. That's a great initiative. Kudos to you. Now, what is your website um, address and uh, do you need volunteers? How can the community get involved? I mean, I know people are listening in and are thinking, geez, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I've got kids, I want to have kids in the future, and this could happen to me. Let me do something to assist wherever I can. Our website is www.rmhcsouthafrica.org, and we always need volunteers. We say volunteers are the backbone of our charity. Because if we have more volunteers, we'd be able to take the resources that we have and plow back into the programs. And even have more programs, like Reggie is saying, uh, go nationally. So we do. So you can log on to our website and you'll find the address and send us an email or even call us and we can talk. I mean, we're about to open. We have already opened uh, but we are about to take families into our 27-bedroom house at the um, Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital. So we would definitely need more volunteers to come on board. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping people are going to go on your website and, uh, you know, put their names down. You know, it's like, it's like we, can all, we can talk and talk and talk all day, but, I mean, we, we, we need a helping hand. And I think together as a community, as a people, we, we, must, we must put in, you know, Put in our efforts as well. Mm-hmm. Osbert, thank you so much for your time. Busi, thank you so much for thank your time. You. Smongile, thank you. and Dr. Reggie, thank you so much for spending your time here on Opinion Booth. Thank you very much. My humble opinion, after all, this is the Opinion Booth, but this comes in the words of Marie Curie. You cannot hope to build a better world without improving the individuals. To that end, each of us must work for his own improvement and at the same time share a general responsibility for all humanity. Our particular duty being to aid those to him to whom we think we can be most useful. Aspire to inspire before you expire. This is Cliffcentral.com.